0: glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. You uphold the universe by the word of your power. You are magnificent. You are beautiful. You are mighty. And you are coming back. God, we need you. We acknowledge that we, without you, are in desperate, desperate need. Father, would you come? Would you bring your spirit here? Would you ready our hearts to receive your word? Would you change us, Father? All these songs are prayers. We entrust to you, Jesus, because we know that you are able. And you can do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Turn our attention and our focus and our eyes to you. It's in the precious name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. You can be seated as we continue.
2: So glad you're here today. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember teaching your kids or learning from your parents the value of delayed gratification? Saving. Okay, a fancy word for saving. But maybe you didn't. Maybe you never learn that. But for most of us, when we're five or six or seven years old, and we get that crisp new dollar bill. And your parents give that to you, and you uh, look at it. And immediately your mind goes crazy, Do you know how much I can get for this dollar? I am gonna go spend it here and spend it there, and and it will just be a delight. It will just fill my soul. And then your mom and or dad sit down with you and say, son, we'd like you to save some of that. And this look of horror comes over. What? I, I have a dollar. I I need to spend this. I want to spend this. It is important I spend it. Now, at this time, every parent has a choice. We're going to stick to it. We're going to teach them how to give to God, how to put away, and how to spend. (laughs) Who knows where you end up? But I think Jesus is addressing that very thing today. Jesus is teaching his disciples that it's really wise to invest in the future. Christ preached to a culture that was steeped in religion and tradition. Some of it was good and some of it not so good. Jesus systematically changed the price tags and boldly proclaimed that life under a good king was very, very different. Something that would bring joy and abundance. You know, last time we opened up the book of Matthew was just about a month ago we've had a lot of different things happening but we looked at Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 where Jesus addresses three important pillars of the culture he talked about giving he talked about prayer and he talked about fasting Jesus did all three of these disciplines but the rest of the culture The rest of the religious, (laughs) something had gone awry. Hypocrisy was the norm. So as we open up chapter 6 in Matthew again, as you can open up your Bibles or or open up um, your tablets, Jesus is going to address anxious materialism. What's that? We're going to find out in a moment. But ultimately, Jesus was encouraging devotion to God. Jesus wants his disciples to enjoy walking with the Father as he walked with the Father. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We recognize your authority in our lives. We are so blessed to be able to worship and adore you. We are grateful for all that you have done in our lives, whether we understand it or not. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to live in each one of your kids' We thank you for the freedom we have to gather together to worship together and to adore you. We pray, Father, that you would teach us. We ask, Lord, that your words would change us from the inside out, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and convicted. We pray, dear God, that none of us leave today the same people we walked in. That's what your word does in our lives. So we thank you. We also pray, Father, for other churches in our area, sister churches that are proclaiming your word. We pray for Grace Point and Meadowland and redemption. We know, God, that those flocks are gathering And they are hearing and praising. We pray for all those folks downstairs and for all the ministries that are happening here and for the leaders. We pray, God, that you would give them an opportunity to be able to reflect you well and to teach your word faithfully. God, we thank you, especially for this Sermon on the Mount. We love just picturing Jesus, gathering folks around him and sharing these life transforming truths. We ask you that you would do that today. We pray all these and your son's powerful and amazing name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, we will all die. And meet Jesus either as Savior or Judge. The importance of our decisions will become crystal clear once we shut our eyes. In fact, as soon as we shut our eyes. We all have things we treasure and value and are convinced that they are absolutely essential to our happiness and fulfillment. For some, it's money and material things. For others, it's reputation, their standing, their performance, their status in society. Still for others, it's appearance, brains, education, or family. The list can go on and on. But the scripture tells us that a Christian's concerns are different. Or, or at least they should be. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. And he says this. You believers, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, sets, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits on, or sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think. And I just want to stop right there. Think. Ponder. Focus. We sometimes read verses so quickly about things of heaven, about those things once you shut your eyes, once I shut my eyes, not on things of earth. You see, life is a series of decisions and choices. And these decisions shape our character and guide our destiny. They are literally forks in the road. Every day we ask ourselves, which road would I take or should I take? Which path should I choose? These decisions we make every day in our lives, during our lifetime, are critically important. Because they all have eternal consequences. Now Jesus cuts to the chase. He he says this. We either choose to invest in the next 70 years. Or we choose to invest in the next million. We are either devoted to ourselves. Or devoted to God. We're like the little boy in the story I opened up with. We have that dollar. We have it. It's right here. Do I invest it or do I spend it? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart also be. Jesus is changing the price tags. He's realigning priorities. Because realistically back then and even now, just about everybody's focus is themselves first. What can I do today that will satisfy me? Now, perhaps we're not as crass as that, okay? But that's more or less the question we ask. But Jesus says, I'd like you to think differently, disciples. I want you who have been redeemed, those who have come to faith, those who've recognized that I am Messiah, I am Savior, and you are aligning yourself with me. You're trusting me as your Savior. And by faith have become a son or a daughter of God. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Do store up treasures in heaven. The word store here carries with it the idea of stockpiling or hoarding. Now that sounds pretty good when it's the negative, right? Jesus also uses two present imperatives. It just simply means you're translating it diligently or continuously. So if Jesus were to emphasize this today, he would say, don't diligently and continuously stockpile or hoard treasures here on earth. But do diligently and continually stockpile or hoard treasures in heaven. Your heart follows what you treasure. What you treasure has the power to capture your heart. Or our treasures clearly indicate what is important to us. What I'd like you to do just for a moment Almost every one of you probably received a bulletin, and there's pens right in front of you on the chairs if you don't have one. But I'd like you to write in the notes section an answer. You don't have to share it with anyone, I promise. But the question is this, what is important to you? Now, now, maybe you might write two or three or four different things, and maybe you even write one, two, three next to it. I don't know. But, but take a moment and just answer the question, what is important to you? Never mind. But you wrote it down, at least three of you thank you. Okay? And you wrote that down, and you look at it, and my guess is, we always think most highly of ourselves. So I bet some of you put God right there, number one. Number two, family. Number And you just start filling it out, and, and so on. And that may be right. It, it may. Okay? But what happens is this. Is that Sometimes what we say is important is actually not important. You find the truth by looking at your calendar or your budget, in case you don't know. Now, maybe you don't have an official calendar, and maybe you don't even have a budget. All right? But how you spend your time and where you spend your money usually shows what's really important to you. So calendars and budgets clearly reveal where one stores up treasure. Now if you look at that, and you look at your list, there might be a discrepancy. It's called conviction, all right? What is it that you're doing that's spending time? Now again, not everyone may be a God follower. Not everyone may be part of God's family, and so this would be almost ridiculous because you would just about spend everything and your calendar and your funds on you. You just would. But again, Christians, Godfathers look at things differently. Now, church history gives us some insights here, especially if you look at revivals throughout the ages. As a result, it's led some historians to say revival does not, excuse me, A revival that does not affect the use of money and possessions is actually a questionable revival. We have an example of this found in the book of Nehemiah. The Jews were returning back to Jerusalem after being in captivity. And Ezra was a scribe And the scriptures tell us in Nehemiah chapter 8 that Ezra read the word of God to them. And they responded. There was great revival. People were convicted of their sin. They began to ultimately praise God. They committed themselves to obeying God's word. This is all good. But then in Nehemiah 9 and 10, The people were so moved. They gave support to the work of the temple. It was something natural, something normal. Your heart reveals what is important, and nothing shows this more than how we spend our money. Let's continue to read. Matthew 6, starting in verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. There's no doubt that as you read this, and maybe even as the people heard this for the very first time, they're scratching their head. Jesus, this is kind of tough to understand. But we have the ability to look at it in context, to study it. And if you look deeply, you'll see that Jesus is expanding on the previous three verses, with the eye becoming the illustration of the heart. Our eyes see light, the only place where light is received. Likewise, our hearts receive spiritual light when it is healthy. Spiritual light reveals what is important in life. We need God's light to reveal what is earthly and what is heavenly. Then Jesus boldly proclaims, and and you've read this, you've heard this, but you cannot serve both God and money. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, For you will hate one and love the other. You'll either be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus really just says, you can't have two masters. Don't deceive yourself. Some may think, well, I kind of can walk the line. I can serve, well, myself and God. I can juggle. I can decide what's best. And Jesus basically said, if you think that way, you're thinking contrary to God. You you can't listen to two masters. One focuses on God and his priorities. The other one focuses on you and your priorities. So really what Jesus is saying to this crowd, so keep on storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth, and don't worry. Well, where do you get that, Pastor Rick? Well, we're going to get that because the next few verses puts all of this in perspective. So we're going to start reading, and I'm going to have read for us Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Follow along, and your Bibles are up on the screen, please.
3: That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink, or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Jesus says,
2: don't worry about your daily needs. In spite of God's faithfulness to maybe all of us here, at least many of us, we wrestle with, if I'm generous, God, if I listen to you, God, will you really Take care of me. I sort of trust you, God. Yeah, I know you've been faithful to me, God. But, but really, will you provide for me? God uses birds and flowers to make this point. And now, the truth is, every one of us have seen certain birds hit on our windshield. And we can be a little snide at that moment, saying, oh, well, God really took care of that bird. Like, whoa. But realistically, all the birds, all the animals, all of creation, he takes care of them. He provides for their needs. And even the beauty of his creation, absolutely floors us, mesmerizes us. Our jaws drop. And God says, this is me. I'm the one who's going to take care of you, and I'm the one who's going to provide for you. I will take care of your needs. Now, God addressed this early in the timeline way back when Moses was leading Israel and God gave him his word for Israel, he put into, shall I say, a motion something called the principle of first fruits. Now to us, it's really not as drastic, but to a culture that was absolutely dependent on a harvest, Listen to what God told the children of Israel back in Leviticus 23. He said this, when you first harvest, it may not even be a big harvest, but we, but I want you to bring the first fruits, the first part of your harvest and offer it to me as an offering. You look at that, and again, what happened if a storm comes? What happened if hail comes? What happened if there's a drought? Will we get any more food? You want me, God, to be able to take the very first harvest and give it to you? The principle was clear back then. I am your priority. I will take care of you. I love the examples of two widows in the scripture. Now again, if we look at them culturally, both of these widows were totally dependent upon God. There was no such thing as pensions back then. There was no such thing as Social Security. There was no such thing as Medicare. There was nothing like that. All right? Every widow was dependent on their family to take care of them, period. And if she had no family, oh boy, that was going to be rough. But we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 about the prophet Elijah. So many of you again know this story, but there were two evil rulers who were running Israel, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And God sent a prophet, Elijah, to them and said, hey, because you are running from me, I am going to withdraw all the rain, and there is going to be a famine. And so here it was, a famine because of the extreme evil and how Israel ran from God. Well, as what normally happens in a famine is that there's no food, there's no crops, water begins to dry up, and even for the prophet, God had sent him to a brook, the brook dried up, and I'm sure Elijah said, what now? And if you read in First Kings chapter 17, God says, hey, my plan for you is to go to Zarephath, not even Israel. There's going to be a widow there. I want you to go to the widow and I want you to tell her to feed you and to take care of you. Okay, Elijah listens, goes to the widow, the widow identifies herself, the scripture says that God already talked to the widow, and Elijah goes, hey, um, yeah, it's really important that you give me my next meal. She, she looks right at Elijah and says, "Okay, uh, I think I have a little bit of flour left, a little bit of oil left. I'm going to make our last meal. My son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die. I, can you imagine Elijah at that moment? Like God, are are, are you serious?" You have sent me to someone who just has one meal left, and you're asking me to tell her, make the meal for me first. Whoa. We do know the story that if she didn't do that, and it didn't happen, she wouldn't have been provided for. But what was so cool, is that okay? She says, I will do that. She makes Elijah, the Ritz cracker, all right, he eats it, and miraculously, all the rest of the time there was a famine, there was always oil and flour, but he had to give that first portion to God. In Mark chapter 12, again, so many of you know the story. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around and there's a treasury box or an offering box, I think it's just like ours, okay, that sits right in the front of the temple and as people would walk in, they would put their tithes and their offerings in this box, And so some of the very religious and very rich, they would make sure everybody saw how much they gave, and they would put it in the offering box. Then comes a widow, and she puts a very small amount in. Jesus gathers his disciples around and says, hey, I just want you to know, guys, you may not know this, but that widow's a hero. Everybody else gave out of their surplus. The widow literally gave everything, the scripture says, she had to live on. I'm going to give this to you, God. I'm going to trust you for everything else that floors us. It's so convicting. Do I 90, 95, 98% of the time give out a surplus? Have I ever even once given to God all that I had to live on entrusted Him? I think there are some times but this has to get your attention. Let that sit for a while. That sounds absolutely crazy. Who would do that? That is dumb. But Jesus says, that's amazing. Because our good, good father totally expects his children to put him first. And our good Good Father, listen to to this, delights in meeting our needs. Isn't that true for our own kids? I mean, maybe not when they're 35. Okay? But when they're younger, and you want to provide for them in, in a very special way, and they depend on you wholly, you love Taking care of their needs. But if God's kids insist on priori- making a priority their own needs and activities, they will never experience the joy of resting in the Father's care and provision. They won't. This passage does not prohibit planning and work. As if housing, food, and clothing come floating down from the sky. It helps us understand our good, good father and the kingdom priorities. So trust God. Worry is inconsistent with our faith in God and therefore unreasonable as well as sinful. Worry is a characteristic of unbelief. So in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul actually gives us some advice here. Don't worry about anything. Oh, we've, we've said this, we've read this, we've quoted this. And in your small groups as you discuss this, There will be always, there's always one that says, oh, I don't worry, I'm just concerned. Okay, got it. No worry, concern. There's a difference in spelling. But do, do you realize, don't worry about anything. Now wait, I just went to the doctor, and there was not good news, and really, this really qualifies. This is life and death. I should be able to worry, or I just lost my job. I should be able to worry, and we justify. It's, it's a good justification, right? Like, hey, this is worthy to worry, and this is not worth, you know, God says this, I'm your good, 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 good father. Paul says, don't worry about anything. And he gives us a solution in Philippians 4. He says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Well, the Lord knows I just lost my job. Pray about everything. You know what? My girlfriend just broke up with me. The Lord knows that, but pray about everything. You know, my son is not really walking with God. Pr- pray about everything. 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 Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace. Will guard your hearts and minds as long as you live in Christ Jesus, as long as you walk with God, as long as you communicate with the Father, as long as you're in relationship with Him. You see, if you're not in a good relationship, if you're not talking with Him, if you're not walking with Him, if you're not spending time with Him, you're going to fret because realistically, Bills look big. Sickness, sickness looks overwhelming. The future. Oh, oh what happened if this happens? What happened if the market crashes? What happens if that? You know what? I, I don't know. I, I don't. But what I do know is that as you walk with God, as you connect with God, as you hold his hand during life, you've got your dad right there all-powerful dad. You've got Jehovah. He, he is going to care for you and me. He is going to take care of you. I think Paul helps us understand what investing in generosity actually looks like. Jesus is not advocating poverty as means of spirituality. He only once told the person to sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. It was in Matthew chapter 19. Now maybe he said that other times, but we don't have a recording of it. In that particular case, in Matthew 19, the young man's wealth was his idol, And therefore, a special barrier between him and the Lordship of Christ. And Jesus just tested him. He revealed the issue to him. The problem was not in his wealth, but with the man's unwillingness to part with it. Jesus taught and showed by his actions that our Heavenly Father expects all of us to be generous. Does. God gives so we can give. Never talks about the amount, but just that we give. He also expects even commands, and this is important to understand. His kids to enjoy the blessings he gives, which includes material blessings. The Apostle Paul also wrote to his pastor friend Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17. Timothy, Pastor Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. What the apostle is saying is walk with God. A relationship that includes a conversation. That's what prayer is. You're talking to God back and forth. You're listening to God. You're opening up his word. You're understanding what is important. You see, everything we have, our time, our brains, our health, everything, our finances, the jobs, they're all God's. What you and I are doing is we have this relationship with God. It'd be really easy, uh, again, uh, hey, you give 10%. Or if you make over such and such, then you can give 15%. And if for some reason, oh, we have all these laws and rules and regulations. God says, walk with me. Everything I have given you, it's, it's all mine. Let's talk back and forth. What time do you want me to give back to you, God? What finances do you want me to give back to you, God? Help me discern. May I be generous. And may I enjoy what you've given me. What you've given me. Because sometimes you give all. And sometimes you give some. But it's so important for us to walk with God, to listen to His voice, to respond to Him. That's why, and we talk about groups here, or mentoring or discipleship often. They're so important. Because relationships like that will help reveal blind spots. Those are great questions to ask your significant others those in your group, those who you trust. Hey, God's convicting me about this. What do you think? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. As we kind of wrap up what we're going to talk about today. Jesus says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So you don't have to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. Make the king and his kingdom the priority of our lives. In the context, make the king and his kingdom your treasure and your heart will follow. You will live righteously. You will live rightly. You will make right and wise choices and lay up treasures in heaven. You will begin to ask different questions. Why has God given me this amount of money? Why has God given me this bonus? Why is God giving me these possessions? Why is God giving me this free time? Why is God. And you start asking. And what happens is. Sometimes we're looking at how we spend our money and how we spend our time and find out it's actually very little kingdom. It's a lot of us. My priority is what I deserve, what I need. You know, we make a lot of asks here in our church we do and you know what the truth is the majority of the answers we get are no and actually I'm okay with that because one of the responsibilities and privileges I have is to make people aware of how to invest if you've been here long enough you'll hear we take offerings often we do. I'm never afraid to ask for money, not even once. Not like I'm asking for it, but if there's a privilege, if there's an opportunity oh well, Rick, will it affect our general giving? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Well, we'll if, if we do this and emphasize this, you, know, will anybody show up over here? I, I don't know. But you know what I do know? Is Jesus said to his disciples, seek first my kingdom. Do do you get that? Make that a priority. Because in some ways, even as I ask about ministry or offerings or, or whatever, and other leaders do that, you're actually answering God. Not that they're God. But realistically, these are opportunities that you have to invest. And so maybe there are a lot more no's than there are yeses. But what's so exciting to me is that you're not going to get an email and you're not going to get a text. You need to walk with God. That's it. What do I do? I do this. Do I say no to that? Yeah, I say no to this one. And yeah, I, well, what do I, do I have to go into my bank account in order to give this? If I, maybe, maybe it's God asking you to be sacrificial sometime. Even our budget, our budget, we're at about 87% giving right now. My guess is there are certain people that could cover that. Boom, it'd be done. I do. Enabling us to do, well, things we think God wants us to do. I don't know. And I'm not here trying to, shall I say, give you all or or ask you all to give more. Some certain plan. If you'd all give about 3% more, we'd have that covered and everything would be good. I just think we walk with God. We walk with God. He tells us. He shares with us. He prompts us. And we have a choice to serve. We have a choice to give. We have a choice to do all those things. But we can, at the end of the day, as we listen to God, be at peace because our King provides our needs for our church, for our individual. God is always faithful. I have seen it in so many different ministries. Things that you sit there, how are we going to cover this? We have no counselors here. We have no staff over here. We have this. God, what is going to happen? Rick, get on your knees. Make some phone calls and see what God's going to do. It's so cool. Who shows up? How the money comes in? How the service happens? What? God does. He is faithful. He is so faithful. Over and over and over. And if you choose not to listen to God, you lose out. God's actual plans are still going to go forward, just so you know. God isn't even dependent on us. But when we listen to Him, it is so cool. We get to be part. That's all. So we keep asking the questions. Hey, do you want me to respond, God? Do you want me to respond? I hear about this. I hear about that. You know, God's principle for his people always has been, and you can look at this in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Solomon writes this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The best part of your calendar, the best part of your finances, honor God first. And then what will happen? Your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow. Now, some of us don't have barns or vats. God just says, I'm going to take care of you. In fact, you're not even going to understand because it's going to overflow. I don't even know what that means. Other than God is a good, good father. And he's trying to change the price tags. Life isn't about us. Life is about him. Life isn't about our priorities. It's about God's priorities. It's about the kingdom. How exciting it is to be part of his family. To walk with him. And watch him move and to be part of it. I wouldn't want it any other way. Would you bow your heads with me at this moment? And before I pray, I I would just like you to talk with God. Is he prompting you to do something? Is he pricking your heart? Is there some conviction? Is there an area that you can thank God for? You are listening, and and His faithfulness is overwhelming. No one knows the percentage of time you have to serve. No one knows the percentage of time that you need to give. But every day, every day, we're asking the question, Father, you gave me this. What do you want me to do with it? And you'll be so surprised what he says. Lord, I thank you for being our good, good Father. I thank you that our relationship with you is enough that you provide. You, you said you take care of the birds. and They're not half as important as us. we thank you. We thank you for you. We thank you for your love. And we ask you, God, that you would increase our faith, that you would help us obey you quicker and faster. We are so grateful to be partnering with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.